It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. What's going on? You're listening to the Locked On Wizards show here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Station. We have shows here every Monday, Tuesday, and Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Noah Getzel. I'm your host, and tonight we will be talking about a Game 6 preview. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Game 6 preview. The Raptors are trying to close things out. The Wizards trying to stay alive. The Raptors haven't been the Wizards at Capital One Arena yet. The Wizards have won eight in a row there. So kind of which Raptors team will show up? Will it be the, the old Raptors team that relies too much on isolation plays or, you know, the one that looks so strong in, in games one and two to, you know, move the ball well and get everybody involved? We'll also be talking about the lack of small ball lineups recently. It seems like Valanciunas and Gortat have been eating up a lot of those minutes, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm going to ask... Our guest tonight, Vivek Jacob, why Ibaka hasn't played more center and how he's kind of flagged a little bit in performance since game one, even though he's still rebounding and blocking some shots. And finally, we're just going to do a bit of shooting guard comparison and ask Vivek which DeMar DeRozan he wants to see in game six. Obviously, DeMar has had over 30 points in three of these five games. And on the other end, Beal couldn't quite keep the team afloat. And in game five, he fouled out in game four. Obviously, two guys who are critical in terms of the best scorers on the team. So we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit and what needs to change or what each guy is doing well to you know give the respective team the edge. So our guest tonight is Vivek Jacob. He represents the Raptors side of things. He, um, I talked to Sean Woodley a couple of times, and he's, he is on the Locked On Raptors podcast, which Sean Woodley hosts about once a week. Vivek also freelances for Sportsnet Canada, Raptors Republic, and North Pole Hoops. You can find him on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Vivek is V-I-V-E-K. Vivek, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So, uh, do you think that the Raptors kind of benefit a lot from home cooking, or are they going to be strong enough to finally earn a, a road victory? You know, the, it was a really close game in Game 5, of course. The Wizards couldn't hit a shot whatsoever in the fourth quarter. Like, what what are, you know, your biggest hesitations about playing on the road? What, has it seemed, I don't know, I, I'm just wondering, like, what your thoughts are and why why the team, you know, the role players just don't seem to step up on the road. DeLon Wright, it seems like he's scared to shoot where he's exploding in fourth quarters when he's back in, in Canada. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think 
in terms of the big picture, it's just the process of the Raptors embracing this new style, and now they're in a much more intense atmosphere. And so you look at you know the way they've been for the last three seasons, like you mentioned, the isolation basketball and not really getting their role players involved. So now role players are given more of a role; they're asked to do more. And what you saw in Game Four towards the end of it was, you know, guys like Delon Wright. Serge Ibaka, guys that need to take the onus on themselves, be shot ready when DeRozan and Lowry are making passes. And if they don't take those shots, then it becomes sort of a double-edged sword where now you've got DeRozan thinking, well, I can't really trust my guys to shoot the ball, so now I've got to do it myself, even if it is you know, an inefficient shot, the average shot taker. Now, he can make a lot of tough shots, but obviously in Game 4 he struggled with that. So I think the Raptors are still in that process of developing into the team that they want to be. And even over the course of the regular season, uh, they actually finished... Uh, I believe 16 and 7 against 500 teams, yeah. uh, plus 500 teams at home, mm-hmm. but they were only 8 and 14 on the road. Oh, wow. So you can see um, there is a bit of a difference, you know, when they're playing, when they've got that home cooking, they've got great fan support at the Air Canada Center, but on the road, when you really have to be disciplined and you can get bogged down by the crowd and the energy, um, I think that's still an area that there's sort of developing it and I think that that's something that will come with time I thought there was an improvement from game three to game four obviously things fell apart in the fourth but I did think there was progress Mm -hmm. and it seemed like ever since game one game five in Canada was the best ball movement that I had seen from the Raptors even though they didn't shoot incredibly well I think uh what what did they hit? Um, yeah, it was just 46%, but they had 26 assists, which tied their best since game one. Lowry was facilitating. He had t- uh, 10 assists. DeRozan, he's been pretty good uh, passing the ball. He's had at least four assists every game, and he had six on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Um, yes, today is... Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm confused and discompopulated, but it was Wednesday <laughs> night. So do you feel like it, it was a step in the right direction after games three and four where maybe... You know, late in the game, it, it looked a little bit too much like some hero ball and trying to get back into that ISO play. Did it seem like they kind of turned the tide and had some better contributions from the role players in, in Game 5 in terms of sharing the ball? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with how the Wizards have sort of played and changed up their tactics over the course of the series. You know, I think to start with, the Wizards were happy to uh, test the role players and dare them to step up and... You know, you had Lowry and DeRozan initially. I think they weren't trying to force their game in the first half of game one. And then as they realized that, you know, they were daring their role players to do more, they passed the ball, they moved the ball, and then you saw the role players get confidence with making shots, and then you saw that carry over into game two. And then I think the Wizards sort of said, hey, let's dare DeRozan and Lowry now to be great, and let's see if those two can beat us. And so I think that's when you saw the transition and maybe the Raptors sort of struggled to adjust to that a little bit. And then game five, I thought was fascinating because for three quarters, the Wizards said, you know, if DeRozan beats us, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to let the other guys get going. And he had 30 and three quarters. Right. And so then when the Wizards sort of changed things up again, you saw DeRozan be more of a decoy, which... That's what that's the way that the Wizards were playing it, and kudos to him for identifying that. It's not an easy transition uh, to make just in game, especially when you've got thirty after three quarters. But I thought it was a positive sign for him to identify that, and then obviously on the other side of things, guys like DeLon Wright, 
Jonas Valanciunas, they've got to be willing to step into uh, more assertive roles, and they did that. Mm -hmm. That's why they came away with the victory. And would you say those are, you know, Valanciunas and DeLon are are the guys who can be, like, the biggest X-factors? Like, who would you like to see step up most, aside from just your your backcourt of Lowry and DeRozan? Who do you think, like, the the key performances will be in order to close things out in game six. I know from the Wizards perspective, like you would love to see Kelly Oubre actually hitting some of the shots, even though he, he had a solid performance with defense and, and you know, just high energy plays. He got like an offensive rebound and a dunk. Um, of course, like you'd love to see Markeith Morris step up again. He's had just six points the past two games. So those are two guys. I would like to see Mike Scott get some more minutes, even though he's a bit of a defensive liability, but you know, the way that he's been, hitting shots so effectively all series, it, w- it would be great to have him step up again at, at home. Which which role players do you think you know have the most at stake coming into Game 6? I would say in terms of who has the most at stake, it would probably be DeLon, right? Because now you want to see that transition over into a big, big-time role performance. And, you know, I think there are more eyes on him just because Fred VanVleet is out. And mm-hmm. when the Raptors closed a lot of games during the regular season, it was Lowry, DeRozan, and VanVleet on the court. Um, and the one thing that Van Vliet offered was a real three-point threat, and he was always shot ready whenever Lowry and DeRozan passed it to him. And I think DeLon Wright has had to make a bit of a transition into that role over the course of this series. And so I think that's why initially you've seen him hesitate, but if he can carry over that confidence and that assuredness in his shot preparation before the ball gets to him onto the road, then I think that's going to bode well for the Raptors. Um, as far as uh, Jonas Valanciunas is concerned, I thought, uh, again, a real positive for the Raptors because with Gortat, one thing Jakob Pertl has struggled with uh, all, pretty much all season is guys that are bigger than him, stronger than him, mm-hmm. and he sort of gets bullied out of the way. And while Casey was probably tempted to stick with him just because he's a quick mover and he's probably better at defending the perimeter, you saw Valanciunas do a really good job of that in the pick and rolls that Wall was involved in in Game Five, yeah. and even stealing the ball on one, one occasion. It's tough to get around a guy know. who's seven feet tall and two hundred sixty-five pounds. No doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. So, and and then the big thing he brings is that he's the Raptors' best defensive rebounder. I mean, there are a lot of t- times over the course of this series, and especially in Game 5, where Washington's just been able to bully them on the glass when Jonas Valanciunas hasn't been on the court. And in Game 5, you had, at one stage, the Wizards were out-rebounding the Raptors 42-21. to And when Valanciunas checked into the game, the Raptors out-rebounded the Wizards 14-8 to the rest of the way. So I think those are the little things that can change uh, the game for the Raptors. You brought up um, Markeith Morris, so I think Scott Brooks tried to get uh, take advantage of Jonas Valanciunas and go small a little bit right towards the end. I think it was the final two or three minutes, um, but then Jonas Valanciunas was just able to bully them inside. So uh, that worked out well in Game 5, but I think if there's one thing we've learned from the playoffs, it's that each game is its own entity, and mm-hmm. what worked in Game 5 will, will not necessarily work in Game 6. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, how, the, how the chess pieces play out. Do you have any status updates on Fred Van Vliet? So I would be surprised if he played this series, uh-huh. even if it went to a Game 7. Initially, they've been put, listing him as day-to-day uh, lately, um, and they said it, it was a shoulder strain, but um, 
Michael Grange of Sportsnet actually reported it as a, a shoulder separation. Oh, wow. Okay. So initially, he was given a, a timetable after the Miami game when it happened of two weeks, which would put it right around that Game 7 stage. I don't know if uh, Game 2, when he showed up for those two, three minutes, did anything to sort of extend that timeline or anything like that, but mm-hmm. he, he seems to be getting better um, for the Raptors. I don't know if they'll risk him in a game six if they don't have to. Right. That makes sense. Uh, especially knowing that they can come back to game seven on their home court. And so if you were to see him, it, it might be in a, a sort of desperate situation in game seven, but I'd be very surprised if he played game six. Yeah. It hasn't really looked like, I mean, I know he was one of your best bench contributors and more of like the go-to scorer when Damar and Kyle were on the bench but it, it seems like the games have been so tightly contested that they haven't I mean I'm sure he would be a boost but you know the, the Raptors have survived just fine uh do you think like what's going on with CJ Miles offensively because he he was a star the first two games combining for 30 points and he hit four three-pointers in both of those games he's only hit three threes in the the remaining three games since that do you, what do you feel like needs to happen to get him going again offensively? Well, I think, again, here, DeLon Wright's assertiveness as a scorer can help because I think one of the biggest issues that the bench unit has when, when it is the all-bench unit is you have C.J. Miles as your only viable three-point threat. Mm-hmm. DeLon Wright isn't someone that commands that respect yet, even though he's shooting a more than respectable you know, 36% from three. Um, it, it's, it's on a low volume. Until he does that with volume and, like you said, carries that, that confidence from home to the road, then I think you'll see them play it the same way. So when you've just got one shooter on the floor to pay attention to, it becomes that much easier to sort of lock him up. And the Wizards have overplayed him a ton, even. And the Raptors haven't done too much to take advantage of that, uh, which is a little bit interesting. But the other issue that the Raptors have faced is those lineups where it's been the bench unit plus DeRozan. Because again, now you don't have a real three-point threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lineups have done a lot better with Kyle Lowry. So um, that's something that uh, Casey's got to be mindful of in terms of how he transitions out of the starters. It's something that's been a bit of an issue over the course of the series. He obviously... Game five with that closing lineup solved a bit of it. Um, but I think more than anything, that's what Fred Van Vliet offered, that spacing that just isn't there now. So it's just a little bit more difficult for CJ Miles to operate. No doubt. Yeah. You talk about three-pointers. It's I mean, the Wizards don't shoot too many of them, even though they shoot a pretty good rate until, of course, you know, Wednesday night where they missed, what, like 81% of those. They only hit 526. <laughs> Uh, something that's alarming to me is not just the fact that there's only been one game that Toronto has made less than 11 three-pointers, but when you look at the playoff statistics, there's probably a small sample size for a couple of these guys, but you have eight players who are shooting 40% or higher from beyond the arc, um, and I'm including CJ Miles, who's shooting 39.3%, but that's that's just ridiculous. DeLon Wright is hitting 47%. OG 46, Surge, who hasn't, seems like he hasn't scored in like a few games this series, but you know, he's at 46% <laughs> as well. So the threes are, are very painful, especially when the Wizards just can't knock them down themselves. I wanted to transition a little bit to the next topic of small ball lineups, which seems like they've been lacking a little bit more than I would have expected uh, because the Wizards, in last postseason, they struggled so much against the Celtics, who had Al Horford and nobody couldn't hop out to the three-point line to guard him or Kelly Olenek when they had that guy. 
but I just want to bring up the the Locked On Wizards podcast for just a second. So we're we're listening da- now on Dash Radio, nothing but Net Station, but there's also a podcast uh, every day, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which is full of awesome reporters giving NBA coverage, like your boy Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors. Uh, and I just uh, wanted to put in a quick plug that you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and a few other places, SoundCloud, and check us out on Twitter as well, at Locked On Wizards. Okay, my advertising pitch is done. On to small ball lineups. Why do you think it is that there's always Jonas Valanciunas or Jakob Poto, I probably can't pronounce his name. Poto, um, Pertle, I don't know. But how come they it's, play? It's Pertle, like Turtle. It's Turtle with a. There's beat. no R. I don't get that. Yeah, that's just, that's just how it's pronounced. <laughs> okay, must be I'm one not, of those I'm Northern European question things. Question the Austrian pronunciation. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So why why haven't we seen more of Abaco playing like a stretch five position? where he makes, you know, Washington's defenders chase him out to the three-point line in your mind? I just think it's because he hasn't played well enough. Mm. Uh, you know, the, he did that in game one, and he was great in game one, but he's really struggled since. He hasn't been assertive. He, he struggled on the boards. Uh, he hasn't been able to manage Gortat when he's had the chance. So um, I think that's all it comes down to. You know, it's been Pirtle and Siakam. We've seen that front court uh, quite a bit in this series, and I just don't know if that trust is there to play Ibaka at the five right now. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this this might be extremely arrogant of Casey to do, and uh, I don't know if he's doing it, but I do know that uh, that Ibaka-Siakam front court that a lot of people want to see, they only played one minute against the Cavaliers mm-hmm. uh, during the regular season. So, again, I don't know if maybe that's something that they're hiding, thinking that they'll get the Cavs. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But... I mean, you know, you'll, you'll be pretty exhaustive if you go into a seventh game or anything like that it just doesn't make sense once the playoffs have already arrived that you want to keep hiding a lineup that you don't I don't know how much they use it in the regular season but I think it could be a death lineup because Pascal Siakam in game four I believe was guarding John Wall face up pretty well and a lot of times yep. off of switches for screen so you know it, it seems like it would be a very rangy lineup Pascal doesn't quite have the jumper yet but I mean you're I think you're right about Ibaka even though he's been a presence defensively he's got seven blocks in the series in five games and he's been rebounding, aside from last game, he, he grabbed at least six rebounds. He's been rebounding at a pretty high clip. Um, but scoring-wise, yeah, he just hasn't taken very many shots. He hasn't been aggressive. He scored just 13 points total in the past three games after 23 in Game 1 and then 10 in Game 2. And I'm, I'm a little bit relieved, to be honest, that you haven't gone with the smaller lineup because the Wizards have such a limited personnel in terms of big men who can you know, be athletic enough to, to chase people around the three-point line. And, of course, Gortat can't do that. Mahimni can't do that. And then you're you're stuck with guys who really, not saying Gortat's a rim protector, but you really are limited if you are trusting people like, you know, Markeith Morris or Otto Porter or Mike Scott to be your last line of defense just because, you know, Scott at least has a, a poor rebounding rate and a poor, you know, defensive rating overall. So... I I would like to see Mike Scott get some more minutes just because he's been so, so effective in terms of shooting percentage and ability to stretch the floor. It's just a, a difficult balance when, you know, you're you're giving up a little bit defensively. And, uh, I mean, people hate on Gortat a ton in the Wizards world just because, you know, sometimes he misses the easy jumpers. Sometimes he, you know, can't keep up with his more athletic younger defense defender that he's trying to go up against he's not the best on on switching he still adds a lot to the team in terms of you know getting guys open off screens and you know he has great chemistry with wall off the 
the pick and rolls, I think, you know, I don't know the exact averages, but I know they've had a lot of su- success there. Do you feel like it when Gortat's in the game, Valanciunas has a clear edge over him? Because last game he had 14 points, 13 rebounds. I think the game before that he had like, I've got a double check in game four. He had, he went off. I think it was like 23 points and a, a dozen rebounds as well. Do you, do you see it as an even matchup or, you know, a way where maybe you can push it down low and get some, some post-up buckets? What kind of role do you think Valanciunas should have when, when he has the traditional center on him? Yeah, it's interesting because tr- over history, Gortat's kind of had Jonas Valanciunas' number. Mm-hmm. And because of the developments that Jonas has made in his game, whether it's you know adding in the occasional three or the biggest addition he's made is just making those reads from the high post where you know he might fake a handoff and go to the basket himself, or you know he's able to find cutters to the rim, or he's able to find uh, three-point shooters, and that's been a huge development for him. So I think just that threat of where now you know Gortat is actually if, if Valanciunas is out on the perimeter. Gortat actually goes out and defends him. That's something that wasn't happening in years past. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, it, it's a size thing with the Raptors where um, when Gortat's on the court, it's, there isn't really anyone else uh, that can sort of deal with his bulk. And Valanciunas is best equipped to do that. And when he keeps it simple, when you know he's just out there setting good screens, teammates are looking for him, keeping him involved, uh, he, he, that, that's when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. You know, he, that's when he's giving more on the defensive end. That's when he's sort of more energized to get on the glass and sort of help the team leak out. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just sort of keeping him involved, whether it's him being able to just make a read and make a play for someone else or just getting the, uh, the ball into his hands to score. Yeah, and I think I misspoke when I said he had like 20-something points and 12 rebounds in Game 4. He wasn't quite that hot, but... Over the course of the series, he's he's been a you know a rock for the team, thirteen point four points a game. He's leading the team with eight point eight rebounds as well. Um, he's been blocking a fair number of shots. When when we like look at the shooting guard breakdown, what have you liked and disliked about DeRozan in this series? Obviously, he's been next to unstoppable scoring after game one and also game four. He only shot like thirty percent in each of those games. Uh, didn't have the best performance, but in Game Four, like even though he wasn't hitting his shots, he still scored thirty-five points and made fourteen free throws. Uh, so, is there anything, any tweaks to the game that you, do you you think would make the Raptors more effective team come Game Six in, in DC, or is is he kind of clicking on all cylinders in your mind? So, I do think in Game Four he missed a, a ton of shots that he usually makes. I think on one stage he was one for nine, but he had got to the line you know 12 or 14 times and that was in the first half alone um so i do i, I do think that first half in terms of the shots uh, that he missed uh they were a bit uncharacteristic so if he can just maintain as he's been saying all series that aggressive mindset mm-hmm. and sort of take what the defense gives him if they're daring him to be great and staying home on everyone else then uh that's kind of what it comes down to and he's just got to be great uh when they're, you know, blitzing him and trapping him, and he's able to move the ball, that's when other guys have to step up and uh, be ready to shoot. And that's what happened late in Game Five. That's what we saw in Game Two. Uh, I mean, we've seen it in all the home games. Uh, so, what's your again, preference there, Vivek? Would you rather see him 
shoot 40 times and hit like 17 of these and you know score 40 points or would you do you have enough trust in him and those big games uh despite you know some playoff miscues from the your, your backcourt in, in recent years or would you rather you know take the pressure off DeRozan and and hope that other people are hitting shots on the road and playing aggressively which which would be your ideal scenario I think ideally I I'd like to see the Wizards trap him and you know that way, I I trust him to move the ball when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of the math, I think it it works in the Wizards' favor when they dare him to take forty shots, and if they can keep him in the mid range. Yeah. Um, now, if we're talking about math, the Wizards also have to be willing to shoot uh, threes at a high volume as well. They did that in game five. They didn't make many, but <laughs> over the course of this series, they haven't been too successful with the three ball. No. Um, so that so it's an interesting sort of tactic for the Wizards how how to game plan it you know whether they change it up like they did in Game Five where they do it for three quarters and then uh, force the other role players into it um, that'll be interesting to see because you know it's interesting from the standpoint that now you've got role players that haven't needed to do much for three quarters and now all of a sudden you ask them to step up in the fourth quarter yeah. so. It happened at home. If that happens on the road, uh, it'll be a good test to see whether guys like mm-hmm. Delon Wright, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, if, uh, if they're all ready to make plays. I feel like the best defensive matchup that we've seen so far in the series, even though it was a limited amount of time, at the end of Game 4 for, I think, like the, the last half of the fourth quarter, it looked like John Wall took on the, the responsibility of trying to check uh, DeRozan for the end of the game, and it, it worked incredibly well. Uh, Wall, you know, had a great defensive outing. He was responsible for just about every field goal that the team scored, aside from one Bradley Beal layup uh, in the entire fourth quarter, you know, scoring or assisting. Um, and I, I, I don't know if John Wall can play solid defense throughout an entire game. I feel like he kind of goes at it in spurts and, and focuses there, because he is playing, like, I think he played 43, 44 minutes last game, the entire second half. So yep. it's tough to keep that up. But do you do you think that's the, the scariest one-on-one matchup in terms of guys who could defensively shut down DeRozan? Or do you think uh, maybe Oubre or, or Beal have done a better job? Is, is there someone who you think would have the best... Uh, like, you mentioned that even if DeRozan is shut down, like, it's, it's fine because you'll have other players stepping up. But from the Wizards' perspective... Is there mm-hmm. anyone who you would least want guarding DeRozan if, say, if you, you know, were hoping DeRozan would have a, a solid offense performance and shoot effectively? Yeah, I think for me, the player that I would least want to guard DeRozan hasn't really been in the series, and that's a fully healthy Otto Porter. Mm. And I think him at full strength is someone that can give DeRozan problems. He's got the strength to, to hold him off. He's got the length to contest. Right. He's quick to move around. Um, he knows his game well. They've been going at each other for years. Uh, you know, If we go back to the sweep that the Wizards had in 2015, Otto Porter did a great job on him. Um, and, you know, was that his second year in the league? So um, I think that would have been... Uh, the toughest matchup. I think that's a tough break for the Wizards, ha- having him, you know, less less than yeah, a hundred percent, and it's hurt them on the offensive side of things as well, uh, because he's such a dependable three point shooter. But uh, that that would that would be, I think, 
the scariest matchup. I, I do think John Wall, you know, offense, defense, he's been an absolute superstar in this series. Right. Um, you know, I think uh, I was sort of laughing when uh, the Wizards went on that streak without him and, you know, all that talk started about the Wizards being a better team without him. And, you know, you might get away with that for a stretch in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you, you need you need stars and you need superstars, and he's definitely a superstar in this league. He's arguably been, you know, considering guys like Kyrie are out, he's arguably been the best point guard in the East. Yeah, and uh, I, I think him and DeRozan kind of suffer from a similar symptom of trying to, you know, forget about their, their teammates at, at times. And the Wizards, I, I understand completely that it's ludicrous to think the Wizards are better without John Wall, but I think they need him to move the ball a bit more and not, you know, like you see it a lot when Chris Paul was on the Clippers. He would kind of just control the possession for 20 seconds of the shot clock and then make, you know, some flailing drive at the rim or take some, you know, stupid contested jumper or pass it to someone, like one pass the whole shot clock and expect that to be an assist for the bucket. So I, I think the the Wizards just need to do a better job of getting everybody involved a little more so than just relying on, on Wall, even though he's been, you know, he's been a superhero in this playoff series. Uh, it would be great to see. Yeah, so Go one ahead. thing I have noticed with John Wall that does frustrate me a little bit in terms of his own development is, you know, a lot of stars, they talk about, you know, when, when they miss time that they see things that you just don't see when you're on the court. Mm-hmm. And, I thought he would have developed more in terms of understanding how he can be effective without the ball, how he can be effective playing off Bradley Beal. And a lot of times when Bradley Beal gets the ball, he's either looking to get it right back or he's just standing and waiting. Absolutely. There's none of him uh, looking to set set a screen or be a cutter. And you think about a point guard at his size, with his quickness, with his athleticism – I, th- I think he could be really dangerous off the ball, and I, I don't think he's figured out that part of his game yet, which would make him <laughs> that much more lethal. Yeah, I never see him leave the three-point line after he gives up the ball, unfortunately. That's definitely you know something that, that you would hope to see him transition a little bit in the offseason or, or make some progression there. Uh, do you think Beal is about to bounce back here on Friday night? Uh, obviously, he struggled a lot in the fourth quarter. I think he was one of six, and... He, he shot okay throughout the game. He was, I think, 8-20 of 20 in Game 4. But, you know, the, the fourth quarter is where you earn your, your bread, and he's got all the money guaranteed. But, you know, he, he really didn't step up to play it the way the, the Wizards needed him. Do you think it will be a different story in D.C., or have the Raptors kind of got his number? Uh, I mean, he's had a couple of off games, but he had, I think, 11 or 9 points. He shot just 3 of 11 and in one of those games when he was struggling with foul trouble. That was probably Game 2, I believe. So what are your expectations in terms of what he'll bring to the, the table and facing elimination game six? Yeah, I mean, he's had a Jekyll and Hyde series himself, you know, home and away. And I think, you know, whether it's him just being comfortable shooting at it, the Wizards net, I, I don't know. But, you know, that's something that's been a factor all series. He's, he wasn't great in game one or two but game three and four you could really see a difference and the one thing that's been big for the raptors is i believe when kyle lowry has defended bradley beal mm-hmm. beal is shooting 35 percent for the oh, series man. all right yeah so, that's, that's not looking too good um yeah um, and in game five bradley beal shot two for ten when guarded by 
Kyle Lowry. So mm. if there is a bit of the Raptors having uh, Beal's number, it will be that specific matchup. Um, I don't think OG Ananobi has been great against him. So if the Raptors commit to that more where Lowry's defending him, I think Beal's obviously got to look to see how he can get uh, Lowry in foul trouble. That's probably the best way to go about it. You know, yeah. use his size, uh, whether it's backing him down in the post or driving um, into him. Yeah, you know, yeah. So um, an interesting matchup. You know, Lowry. I think he's one of those guys uh, similar to Chris Paul, where you you back a point guard down in the post and you think you have a mismatch and you have an advantage. But he's one of those guards that can really hold his own in the post, and mm-hmm. he's got that sort of girth to him where he's tough to move off the block so i'm sure every guard in the league has had shared that same thought it's like oh this guy's tiny i can back him down easy nope he's used yeah. to that uh another that was a very interesting stat this one's a lot more basic but the the raptors are three and oh when drake is in attendance do you expect him to show up in dc <laughs> i don't know if he'll show up I, uh, he hasn't been to too many road games i mean usually mm-hmm. if he's at a road game is to watch another team um but he, he's been great for the raptors uh, all year round, ever since he's become the global ambassador, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if he was there just just because of history. But um, you never know. Maybe all that trash talking with John Wall, you know, spike his interest. Do you have any there. any final thoughts as we we head into Game Six Friday night? Heading into Game Six, no, I'm just really intrigued by you know the Raptors have consistently gotten off to good starts. So the one thing that's become really of interest to me is those late a first quarter, early second quarter lineups, and then mm-hmm. the lineups that get trotted out to start the fourth. Um, so that's the, those are the main things that I'll be looking for uh, heading into game six. How about yourself? I, I really want to see Otto Porter have a big game. I would love to see mm-hmm. Markeith Morris uh, you know, score more than six points as well. It just looks like outside of Wall and Beal, a lot of the other players are silent because they can't really create their own shot. So it would be great to, to have someone else get hot shooting so you know it forces the defense to adjust and maybe free up some more opportunities for the Wizards' house of guards. Um, it's also been good to note that John Wall has played incredibly well, and I hope he still has legs in Game 6. Obviously, he missed a ton of time coming off those uh, the knee surgery, uh, missed 41 games over the course of the season. So... I guess in game one, he only shot 6 of 20, which is 30%, but you know, still 23 points, 15 assists, 4 steals, 2 blocks in that game. You can't really complain. I hope that he doesn't turn in a dud performance. I don't expect him to, but you know, it's just asking a lot to have six straight games where you put the whole team on your shoulders. So that'll be, you know, that's, right. that's something worth noting, just the, the amount of minutes and usage rate that he's had. So let's hope that's sustainable. Uh, I guess we're not both hoping the same thing, but I hope that's sustainable. <laughs> cool. Well, it's been a pleasure having you uh, tonight on Locked On Wizards here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net Station, Vivek. Uh, once again, you can follow him at Vivek M. Jacob. Uh, definitely pumping out quality material for all of his different organizations um Fortinet canada raptors republic north pole hoops b-ball breakdown yeah there you go awesome Um, thank you so much for having me on Noah. i appreciate it yeah no worries man all right well that'll do it everyone enjoy game six here at 7 p.m eastern in dc hoping for a big crowd at capital one arena and let's get our popcorn ready and check out the show from neighborhood to the studio trying to fight me she need to get a piece of american pie and take her bite out that's my house i disconnect the cable and turn the lights out and let her know her grandchild is a baby and not a paycheck private school daycare medical bills i pay I love your mom and everything. See, I ain't on one.
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.